Welcome back to Talk and Shop, the e-commerce strategy podcast brought to you by Cyber, New Zealand's leading e-commerce experts and Shopify Plus partner. We're here to share our knowledge and insider tips on all things e-commerce with the help of some amazing industry guests. New episodes available every week so you can make the most of your business online. Stay tuned for this week's episode coming right up. folks welcome back to talking shop with zyber you already know this but i'm going to say it once again this is the e-commerce podcast for merchants who are serious about growing their online business and hey what a great podcast episode we have today waldo but before we get into who we have how are you sir yeah nah good man sick of this lockdown but what can you do right uh it's business as usual and uh, you know no rest for the wicked uh, a lot of a lot of the industry is super busy out there and it's it's good to be at the forefront of it and hear it from you know our merchants and so um yeah just onwards and upwards charging ahead to bfcm um we've got a very interesting podcast today guys a little bit uh, it's very related to e-commerce obviously but coming at it from a little bit of a different angle leo why don't you tell everybody who we have on yeah i was gonna say you might be sick of lockdowns but something that we can do in lockdowns is produce great podcast episodes and that is exactly what we're going to do so i'm going to introduce this person entrepreneur author founder of fe international uh, who helps SaaS, e-commerce and content-based online business to successfully be acquired by other businesses so i'm talking about thomas mail uh him and the team have done more than one billion dollars of transactions in experience in this uh, realm of what he does so today we're going to be talking to him you know, when is a good time to maybe sell your business? What should you be doing? How should you get ready for all that? So with that, Thomas, welcome to the podcast. Hey guys, thanks for having me on. No, 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 thank you. Uh, where are you dialing in from today? I'm in just outside San Francisco. Excellent, excellent. Well, great. Have you been to New Zealand before? Uh, only for a layover. So oh, that, that I've counts. To, I've been to Auckland Airport, if that counts. That does, <laughs> there you go. You know, you what know kind of layover was that? Was that to Fiji or something? Uh, I was via um, <laughs> uh, via Sydney, I think. Okay, there gotcha. There you go. Awesome. Well, awesome, Thomas. Well, thanks for you know coming on the show. I guess for our listeners to understand a little bit more of who you are, maybe give us a little bit of insight about your business and about yourself. Sure. So um, I founded FE International back in 2010. Um, in 2010, like platforms like Shopify didn't really exist. If you had a business, the kind of platforms people would be selling products on then uh, don't really ex exist today. Um, so the industry has definitely developed a huge amount in that time. Mm -hmm. um, we started out selling very small businesses online. So web websites have existed for a while now, probably like nearly coming on for 30 years, but them actually making money has been probably more like the last 20 years. Yeah. So when I started in the industry, it was relatively immature companies like FE International did not exist. If you had a business, an e-commerce business, a software business, whatever it might be in the industry, there wasn't really any way you could go to sell it. You could go to an investment bank and you were probably too small. Um, you could go to a marketplace and you can still go to a marketplace today and you can try to sell your business yourself. Um, but there wasn't really middlemen out there who specialized in the industry. Most of them would be great if you had a gas station or a petrol station, depending which part of the world you're from. 
uh, mm-hmm. to sell. If you had a restaurant to sell, you can go to a business broker. Um, if you had an online business, there was nowhere you could go. So mm-hmm. started out selling very small businesses. As the, I guess, industry and we as a business have grown, more people know about us. It becomes more normal to sell a business. We've kind of grown consistently. I guess you could call it exponentially over the last 10 years to the stage where, as you mentioned, we've now sold over a thousand businesses, which is over a mm. billion dollars in combined uh, valuation. Uh, we work with a real range of businesses from e- e-commerce. We do a huge amount in the Shopify space. So Shopify app, Shopify services, you name it, we've probably sold it. Um, content-based businesses. So content in our world is a blog, could be like yep. a podcast, anything like that. Um, but generally speaking, if it's a business that can be run remotely and it's online, that's what we specialize in. Fantastic. And uh, we're going to deep dive into that. But just so we know a little bit more about you, I believe you started off as yourself. I think now you've got three uh, offices around the world in a team of 40 plus. Am I right? Yeah, we're around 50 people now. Or okay. I guess about we're nearly 100 if you include everything we do. But the main FE International business that most people see and know about day to day is about, about 50 um, we actually have four offices. So uh, San Francisco, as you can tell, I'm not actually in an office at the moment, but um, <laughs> we usually have an office out here. Uh, we have an office in Miami. Um, our main office, head office is in New York. Uh, and then we also have an office in London in the UK. And then we have a few other people working remotely around the world, but the majority are in either New York or, or, or London. Oh, that's pretty cool. I've got a question for you. How did you end up in this line of business? Uh, so I was at uh, college or university. This is back in, I graduated in 2010. So I started the company the year I, I graduated. I'd spent like 26. I started university four years there. Um, I was, I think, like most college or university students, always looking for ways to make some cash because I didn't really want to have a job. And I wanted money for, um, I would say buying books, but it was probably more like buying beer. Um, yeah. <laughs> so wanted ways to make money um i didn't want a traditional job like i did a business degree so most of my peers went to work in accounting went to working uh big consulting firms investment banks um that's not really what i wanted to do um at the time i got into completely randomly buying and selling domains this was undeveloped mm. domains um back then you had to sell them on ebay there wasn't really any way you could sell them um it was kind of a little bit of a sort of underground industry. If you yeah, to sell, yeah. You the old black market. Really, yeah, you would have to like find people on forums on like things like Facebook didn't really exist or it was around the time it was being founded, but it was not in any way mainstream. Very so buying some domains, I never really got domains because in my in my mind, the domain doesn't really have any value. It's kind of how how do you know if a domain's worth a hundred dollars or thousand dollars or a million dollars i then discovered you could get a developed website and i was like well this makes more sense to me with a business degree because it, it makes money so if it makes a hundred dollars a month then it clearly has some value because people pay for the value of the cash flow and then obviously you can exponentially increase that to millions or 10 millions a year or whatever that might be so you started out selling really small websites i had I was obviously a student. I didn't really have any money. So I was using my own money, turning $100, buying something, selling it at the end of the month for $1,000, uh, and then repeating. Um, 
again, back to the student with no money um, story. Uh, off the back of that, like I said, no one's really doing what we do today back then. People started approaching me being like, hey, Thomas, I see you're selling these websites for like a thousand bucks. I have this website making, I don't know, thousand dollars a month. Can you help me sell it? So I was like, well, this is great because I know how to do it. Yeah. I don't have to spend any money because I'm sending something, someone else's business for them and they'll just pay me a percentage. So that's what I started doing. I guess it was kind of completely accidental. I wouldn't have called it mergers and acquisitions. I didn't call it business brokering. I was like, oh, I'm just selling mm-hmm. stuff for people. Um, and then it kind of formalized from there. Um, did lots of different things. The year I graduated, I was just basically trying to pay the rent in any way I could. Um, 2010 to 2012, that's when we started specializing. So all we really started doing from then on was selling on behalf of other people. Um, we've always bought the occasional business ourselves over the years. We usually buy one or two a year. Um, I'd like to say part of the reason we do that is really just kind of stay sharp. I, one thing I really hate with any sort of service business or advisory business is if the person or company you've hired doesn't actually do it themselves. Mm. Like I, I've done what we do with my own money on both sides of the table, whether it's buying or selling. So I get the emotional side of it. I get the financial side of it. I, I clearly believe in the industry. Yeah. Um, so that's really what, really what I did. Kind of started formalizing from there. Um, my business partner worked at Citigroup, the investment bank. So oh, he, yes. he was working on billion dollar deals and he was like, Thomas, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, I'm just selling stuff. And he was like, no, no, you're doing M&A. And I was like, I don't know what, don't know what M&A is. And then we started formalizing it. And he said, well, look, I've done billion dollar deals. I was doing $10,000 deals. Let's meet somewhere in the middle. And we effectively, what we tried to create is if you hire us, you get the same level of service you would get if you were selling a billion dollar company with a large investment bank, but we do it in a much more lean process driven way, which means we can sell million dollar businesses, $10 million businesses, but provide a different level of service versus just trying to sell it yourself, which is also, also possible. That's interesting. You just made me think of a, a question now that I, I want to ask is, do you see a big difference when you're talk, selling a million dollar business to a billion dollar business? Is it just more lawyers and more paperwork, but is the, the process the same? I'd say the process to be completely honest is essentially the same. You, yeah. you still have to, ultimately our job is to present the business in the best possible light. Um, so whether it's hundred million dollars, which is a more common deal size, we don't work in a huge number of billion dollar deals, but right. yeah, yeah, yeah. hundred million dollar transaction, which we work on, is essentially the same as a million dollar transaction. Our job is to make the business look good, drive up buyer demand and get as many buyers as possible. And if you're selling a business for, and this is something that took me a long time to really understand, most people assume there's less buyers as you go up, but it's it's not really true. There's plenty Mm. of buyers out there with a hundred million dollars. So if you're selling for selling for a hundred million or a million, you're dealing with a slightly different type of buyer but essentially it's the same. They're probably using other people's money or if it's a company buying strategically, it's still to some extent other people's money because they probably have investors or they might be public. Um, Maybe they have a bank funding them, whatever it might be. Mm. Um, Generally at that level, transactions are largely driven by us and then other advisors in the process, which is usually like you say, lawyers with lots of paperwork, accountants with lots of paperwork. Our job is to kind of be in the middle of the three and make sure that deals go ahead. Because often what you yeah. find is 
lawyers, attorneys, whatever you want to call them, like, are not also always commercially minded. So they'll often like blow up deals. Um, so we oh. try to keep them out of the process, only involve them when they need to be. Um, same with accountants. We set very clear expectations with our clients up front. We make sure they speak to their accountant in advance. So they know what they're getting in for. We don't want to spend all of our time going through a transaction and they're like, oh my God, I have to pay tax. Yeah. Um, I didn't, and this didn't reminds realize. me of, oh, sorry. No, go uh, ahead. This, this reminds me of uh, real estate. It sounds the same. You keep the lawyers and the accountants and everybody else away from the conversation as much as you can until you really need it to. And it sounds like the difference between selling a million dollar business and a hundred million dollar business is probably just the quality of the restaurant you've taken them to. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 exactly. I mean, so internally, we might have a very similar process. We might get a slightly different level of seniority working on that transaction. Yeah. Um, if you have a hundred million dollar deal, the client probably doesn't have daily interaction with me, but they might speak to me reasonably regularly. Million dollar deal, I'm I'm overseeing it. I know what's going on, but I'm I'm not the one driving the process. Um, I'll get involved if I need to. But no, essentially, the reason we've managed to grow substantially over the years is we've just applied the same process, just kind of marginally improved it and changed it as we've um, gone up in terms of deal size. Yeah. yeah. And speaking of the process, um, do you want to take us a little bit through what a sort of standard process looks like? You know, um, when, when when you deal with merchants out there that get to a stage where they go, oh, this might be an opportunity for me to exit here. Um, what sort of conversations do you start having with them or they start having with you? Yeah. So the very first thing we do, and we've offered this throughout the entire lifetime of the businesses, we start with a free valuation. So we'll get to know a little bit about you, your business how much is making, whether or not we think it's sellable. If we do, we then have a valuation team. Their entire job, as the name suggests, is establishing what your business is worth. We'll provide a fair market value, usually in the form of a range. So it might be $4.5 to $5 million is the, the valuation range. And that's put together. We have a proprietary valuation model internally, which primarily pulls in data from past deals we've completed. And then it effectively models all the different variables in there and says, okay, well, this $5 million business is similar to this $8 million business we sold. What are the variables we can compare? What's better about this one? What's worse? Um, and then ultimately we come out with a evaluation. So it's a combination of art and science, as in there is a model, mm -hmm. but there's also actual people looking at it and playing around with the numbers because you can't, and there's a lot of misinformation about this. You can't automate valuations. It's not possible, but you do need to use some data. You can't just look at it and be Rain Man and be like, yeah, this is what the, <laughs> the number is. Yeah, exactly. um, I, I used to think that's what you could do, but it's not a very consistent process. So we kind of had the two. If you then decide to engage with us, and often that might be years after, you might get a valuation. You're like, no, I actually want to keep the business. We want to grow it. We'll come back and it's worth $10 million. Um, once you sign an engagement agreement with us, we then prepare the business for sale. So effectively make the business look good. We put together what we call a prospectus for the business, which is effectively a presentation, um, 20 to 50 pages, depending on the size, complexity of the business, the kind of buyers we're going after. Um, again, depending on the size of the transaction, um, we might then prepare a teaser, which is a much shorter um, confidential document, which doesn't really disclose much. And we use that to go out to strategic buyers and be like, Hey, you're interested. And then we put them through extra levels of vetting. Once we put together mm. those materials, we then go out and find 
um, buyers. So I guess very similar to uh, a recruiter or real estate, whatever it might be, our job is to go out there, find as many qualified buyers as possible. That might be a strategic buyer. So a large competitor, it might be a financial buyer. So private equity firm in the industry, it might be an individual. Mm. Um, it might be you guys, you might be like, Hey, look, we want to buy stuff in the Shopify space. We have $10 million. Yeah. What can you sell us? Um, and then all, all a, a real mix of people in between. I think lots of companies call themselves private equity, but all that really means if you take out the fancy jargon, it's just using other people's money to, yeah. to buy a business. Then, yeah, yeah, so yeah. You, can, you can call it whatever you want, but yeah. in my mind, that's essentially what it is. Um, we'll then go out there, get as many offices as we can for business. Um, we usually aim for between five and 10. Um, any more than that, we probably not value the business high enough. Mm. Uh, any less than that, we probably not reached out to uh, enough buyers or we might have massively overvalued the business. Yeah. So a lot of people think, oh, it's really like, we tell you the business is worth 5 million. Let's just try it for 10. But 10 is not very sensible because you're not going to get any interest at all. Um, whereas if you go out and say two, two also doesn't work because you, you end up with 35 offers and it's difficult to work through. You have to then bid people up. Some mm. people aren't going to move. Uh, the process gets a bit messy. So yeah, you probably have a combination of, um, you know, some sales staff that, you know, look after people wanting to list their businesses, but then also people who, you know, entertain relationships with others that are looking to buy businesses. So again, it, it, the similarities with real estate is cat uncanny. Exactly. So we have two completely different teams. So we have the valuation team. Um, and the way I always say the reason we have different teams is much. I love a valuation team. You do not want the valuation team selling a business. No. Um, and you also do not want our team, our advisory, our M&A team, valuing your business. The different skill sets, different types of personalities that do well in, in that role. Um, yeah, so we have different teams throughout the process who specialize in that part of the process. People who are good at selling are not good at valuing. People who are good at valuing are not good at selling. Mm -hmm. um, so we do that. Once we have got offers, we then run a, a bidding process, competitive process, to get the best deal possible. It might be above asking price. Um, it might be below asking price, but as a seller, you might like the buyer. You might be like, hey, look, I've he made the effort to fly out and meet me, or we did a bunch of Zoom calls and presented really well. I like their plans for the business, um, whatever it might be. So there's always a bit of a, our job is not necessarily getting you the most money. It's getting you the most money, but also the buyer you like the most. And he or she could be, not necessarily who you might think upfront would be the ideal buyer. So get me, give me the smoothest acquisition. I don't want to go through lots of hoops. And exactly. So part of our job as well is making sure that there's a very high degree of certainty in the deal. So mm. we try to avoid any kind of speculative mm. deals. Quite often people come to us be like, yeah, I'll buy the business for, I don't know, it might be 20% above asking price, but they haven't got any money. And I'm like, okay, well, we're going to go raise the money from investors, okay. private equity, whatever. Um, you, you don't hire us if you want to go sell to a buyer like that because we will filter them out in the process. Um, very much, I mean, we represent sellers. So hopefully if you're a seller, you quite like us because we represent you, you will get the best deal possible. But with buyers, our job is not necessarily your friend. We want you to buy a business if you're qualified and have cash, but we are not going to encourage you or even let you look at businesses if you if you in our mind you're not qualified 
Mm. Are there businesses that have a little like um, exit clauses? Like I'll buy it, but if the new business or the business I buy doesn't perform over a th certain threshold, I get all my money back. Do, do people try that? People, oh, to answer your question in two parts. Uh, does that happen through FE International? No. Does it happen elsewhere? Yes. Um, <laughs> we, we try not to, generally speaking, the clients we work with want to sell their business. They want out. They want as much cash as possible. If there's any financing element in there, so performance-based or just a straight up loan or what we would call a note, uh, if you want that, um, then you might have to pay above asking price or whatever that might be. Um, mm -hmm. We don't do anything. There's no try before you buy. Yeah. Um, there's no let's buy. At least it's not what we do at the moment. There's no let's just sell 50% of the business or buying business partners out. It's not really what we work on. I mean, yeah. we can help with valuations and stuff, but we're not finding business partners. We're not helping people find investment. Um, like I said, no, no try before you buy. Um, obviously, there's a, a due diligence process you go through to make sure everything that we claim and the seller claim is is accurate but there's no process where it's like oh in 30 days if it's only made x then mm. we're going to reduce the amount we pay you by y yeah um yeah. so i guess that's part of the reason people hire us because otherwise as a seller if you try to sell privately or through i guess less scrupulous firms you might end up in a situation where you are told that's commonplace but it's not really the reality and buyers are very good at positioning themselves as as credible they're like okay this is this is how all deals are done yeah. so like just sign this agreement this is completely normal and you're gonna make millions whereas mm. that might not actually be the reality right okay um the, these are all good topics so let's get really into it i know a lot of people suddenly wake up and go oh i think i want to sell my business today but i think thomas i've, I've heard you talk about this it's something that people should be getting prepared you know, far in advance. So what, what kind of advice should you be telling, you know, especially a lot of uh, Shopify merchants that listen to this podcast. There's a lot of other agency owners that listen to this podcast. So what should they start thinking about if they're wanting to sell? So a couple of things. Firstly, if you actually practically want to start any sort of sales process, I would say this applies to basically all businesses, but particularly e-commerce businesses um, and particularly agency service-based businesses mm -hmm. um i'd say we also work with a lot of shopify apps they tend to be a little bit a little bit better um but getting your financials in order is probably the absolute most important thing which is a prerequisite for even getting an accurate valuation mm -hmm. um then my suggestion is speak to us or speak to a firm that sold businesses like yours get a valuation for free and you shouldn't really be paying for evaluation unless there's you have a particularly large business or a particularly complicated case. You should really be able to do it for free. Uh, get an idea what your business is worth. As part of that, you'll identify any problems. The M&A firm you work with will say, well, we can't sell your business because of X, Y, Z. Well, that might be will really vary, but there's lots of different reasons why a business might be difficult to sell. Um, but the reason getting evaluation is important is it will then help you determine usually one of two things when it comes to like, when should you sell? How should you sell, et cetera? It's like, firstly, what's your business worth now? And then what, what number you want to sell it for is a personal decision. Or it might be driven by investors or some other stakeholders, but it's usually very personal. So if I tell you a business is worth a million and you want 10, 
chances are you're going to have to go spend some time doing some work to get it <laughs> to be worth 10. But if I tell you a business is worth eight and you want to get to worth 10, you might not have to spend a huge amount of time getting to where you want to be. Um, other people might have a time-based goal. Um, so at the moment, for example, we have a lot of clients in the US who are selling um, because there's talk about capital gains tax increasing in 2022. So a lot of people are like, well, maybe my number's not exactly where I want it to be, but next year I'm going to have to pay double the tax or maybe even more than that. So a lot of people are selling now because they're like, well, let's lock in the game while, while we can. Um, so most people have a financial or time-based goal or combination, but you'll never really know what you need until you go through and get evaluation. So that's why I encourage people to chat to us. Um, and our sales lifecycle is often very many years because people will get evaluation and often we won't hear from them for years and then they'll come mm. back and, and work with us. Um, but yeah, at the very start, get your financials in order, get evaluation, and then that will help you establish what you should be doing. And it will also help determine strategy. Because like I said, given those two examples again, your million dollar business trying to get to $10 million might be, you might have to drastically change your business or fundamentally change it to get to 10. If you're at eight and you're just trying to get to 10, then you probably don't have to do anything other than run the business a little bit longer, marginally improve it. So the valuation process is important because it does also help determine your strategy. And it might also help change your goals. Maybe, maybe the track you're on is fine. Maybe your business is worth more than you ever could have dreamed. And you're like, well, maybe I know when I, I know, I know when I started my business, I was like, all I want to do is make a million. Well, I lived in the UK, so a million pounds. Mm. Like, I just want to be a millionaire. My yeah. goal was a million at the time. There were no companies in the industry making a million. So I was convinced if I got to just 1 million, I would just I was in hindsight, maybe quite naive now, but also very privileged. If I get to a million, I'm done. I'll just like quit and I'll go play golf every day, which is my <laughs> genuine plan. Yeah, um, well though. Yeah, and then <laughs> kind of got way past that. Um, again, very privileged position to be nice. in, but way past that. And then I kind of reset my goals. I'm like, well, what about why can't I get to a hundred million or yeah. a billion? Like if you, you keep growing, you don't know where that's gonna be. Um, mm. but for me, that was somewhat of a not some, for me, it was less of a financial goal, but more time-based. I'm like, well, I'm 33 now. I started the business when I was 22. I, I, I like what I do. I'm happy to work. So I have no rush to sell and no reason to. I make a nice living. Um, business is growing. It's very fulfilling. Um, but other people might say, well, actually, I'm 65. I've been doing this 20 years. Um, I don't want to sell green pens anymore so i'm going to stop selling them and sell my business yeah yeah absolutely now you mentioned the the valuation and i understand that you guys have a formula and all that but i'm sure there's a lot of people listening to this podcast now and in their heads are like oh i wonder how much my company's worth and i've always said to people look you could take your net profit and depending on the industry kind of like multiply it by two times three times and that kind of you know net profit over a year of course you're you're yearly net profit and that kind of might give you a number is that kind of the quickest easiest way for someone to try and figure out how much their company might be valued at i'd say if you want a very broad range uh we see multiples at the moment anywhere from probably three to six yeah. for average 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 business 
Mm. Um, I, I would reiterate and not trying to put the sales pitch on again, but you do need an actual professional to value the business because it could be way less than that, or it could just be most likely if you're below that level, it's not sellable. There's mm. fundamental reasons why it won't sell. Um, but there are also businesses that are worth more. Um, but yeah, as, as a broad range, that's about right. But chances yeah. are your business is not worth 30 times, <laughs> regardless of how much you think it's great. Um, and it's probably not worth one. It's probably somewhere in the in the middle. Um, but I'd say if you are kind of curious, it's definitely worth getting going through that valuation process. There are lots of firms out there like us willing to do it for free no obligation like yes we probably will follow up with you over the next couple of years but we're not mm. going to be turning up at your house or your office like trying to persuade you to sell with paperwork so mm. now, as a business owner i mean yeah as a business owner i would actually recommend to start a relationship with a brokerage firm like yourselves if it, if it isn't you you know because it's always good to have those connections so that you can just check in once a year and just say hey how's it going keep up with what's happening in the industry. And it's always good just to know, to have a bit of back and forward so that when the time does come, um, you know, you've got that established relationship, you know each other well, uh, the broker knows your business, makes that can make life a lot easier as well. So exactly. So if I'm a, a Kiwi business, I've been very successful. Um, things took off, you know, much better than I thought it would. And I've got a large, um, a large customer base now in the US that we're selling into. And I'm thinking, Jeez, things are getting a little bit bigger than you know what I feel like I ever wanted to handle. Let's let's see if we can sell this business. What's 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 the first step, and uh, what should people prepare for? Shall I say? So I think the first step is establishing how you're going to sell it. Um, I guess your options are try sell it yourself. Um, maybe I'm a little bit biased, but I think generally speaking, unless you've done it very many times before, it doesn't really make sense to try sell your business yourself. Um, you're just there's no way you're ever going to have access to the same number of buyers that an M&A firm will. Um, very similar to hiring a good lawyer or a good accountant. Hiring a broker, yes, you have to pay us, but we should get you more money than, than we, you pay us in terms of versus yourself. So I, I think it is a little bit of a false economy. And we hear stories of people who have sold themselves like, oh, I sold and I saved myself, say, 15% on a million-dollar transaction. It's like, well, yeah, you've sold your business yourself for a million dollars. You don't have to pay us 150k, but mm. we could have sold your business for 1.3 million. So no, right. yes, you saved a bit of money, but um, so that's where you kind of have to decide what you want to do. I'd say the downside to working with an M&A firm is that you have to follow their process. So if you come to us and be like, "Here's a process I want to run, run it for me," we won't do that. Like we have our process. This is how we work. If you don't like it, don't work with us. Um, go speak to some other brokers, other M&A firms. Um, everyone has a slightly different process. Um, so I'd say it's important if you are thinking about selling to make sure you are aligned with who you work with. Um, like Make sure you like them. Make sure you like their process. Make sure they've sold similar business to yours in the past. Um, mm -hmm. That's like really important. Um, as you know, like Shopify, for example, has lots of nuances with the platform to understand, particularly if you're selling an app or anything like that, partner mm. regulations are always changing. It can be, some things can be quite strict. Um, if you're working with someone that had no idea. So for example, as you guys probably know, a couple of months ago, Shopify changed their partner fees from 30% down to effectively zero yeah, minus yeah. a small transaction fee. We were in the middle of a, around a $20 million 
transaction in the Shopify space because we obviously knew what was going on because we're, we're specialists in the industry. Mm. We could immediately adjust the deal terms to reflect the fact that the business was now making more money. Yeah, if, you hire a firm, if you hire a firm that knows nothing about the space, they're not going to have a clue because they're not clued in. Similar to you should not hire us to sell a restaurant um, because the only thing I know about restaurants is what I like eating yeah. or about what wine I want to drink. I could not tell you anything about how to run a, a restaurant as a business, nor could I tell you what's going on in the industry of restaurants. So yeah. find someone who knows your space. Um, again, it's important to align on valuation. Like if you have a $50,000 business, you can probably sell it yourself. If you have a $5 million business, you should probably hire a small M&A firm like us, a business broker. If you have a $5 billion business, you should definitely be going to a large investment yeah. bank. So part yeah. of it is your choices are somewhat um, dictated by the size of your business mm-hmm. and the industry you're in. Um, but I would always recommend finding someone who has sold something similar. Um, oh, similar to- t- t- totally makes sense there, Thomas. Yeah. I was just going to say, now what people are thinking in their mind is, okay, I like the sound of Thomas, but what are your guys, you know, broker broker fees or how, how do you, how does a broker- start getting their, their their cut of the sale yep so and this goes for i'd say almost everybody in the space almost all firms are entirely contingency based so we're going to get paid if you sell your business mm-hmm. um as you go slightly more up market you'll start to get um more retainer driven engagements um so as in that'll be like a small monthly fee plus a success fee um at the end um i'd say anything that's a deviation of that, so as in fixed fee up front or anything like that, or hourly, I generally suggest avoiding that. Sure. Because um, most established firms don't do that. Um, yeah. We generally, in terms of fee structure, we start at, for a million dollar business, we start at 15% of the sales price. And then that tears down depending on the size. So if you have a $100 million business and we're working on a deal like that at the moment, um, I wish I could say we are, but we do not get paid 15% on mm. that deal. Uh, sure. It's significantly lower, but on a million dollar deal, generally 15%. Um, and we don't necessarily have a flat scale you can look at. We do that based on when we value a business, we will also tell you what the the fee will be because yeah. effectively in the form of a proposal, because we want to know kind of what we think of the business, how likely it is to sell, what your expectations are like, how messy the financials are, all of those kind of things. But generally it's a, a sliding scale depending on size. Perfect. Now tell me for, for that percentage, you know, I know you guys are doing the, the valuation. I know you guys can go out and find people that are wanting to buy. Um, I mean, are, are you assisting with negotiations? Are you assisting with, you know, paperwork that the lawyers need to sign? Like how far does the service go? So I would describe this as full service. We do as much as possible. I'd say we micromanage the process to the extent that you shouldn't really need to do anything other than provide us some materials we need up front to put together perspectives, join calls that we would organize with only very qualified buyers, mm-hmm. um, and then answer any questions that we would um, help break down from any qualified buyers via email. But as a seller, you do not have any interaction with buyers directly. We do all of the negotiation on your behalf. Um, in terms of paperwork, in the majority of transactions, we do almost everything. So we don't really involve accountants. We don't really involve lawyers we do as much as we can ourselves mm. uh, we have in-house teams 
about a third of our team are qualified accountants. Um, so they do all the accounting. Uh, they have a legal team internally if it's drafting documents. Um, we technically cannot, my disclaimer is we can't technically legally represent you. So you, you should hire independent legal counsel. Um, so depending on the complexity of the transaction, um, most people opt to bring in um, a lawyer. But as I mentioned at the start, we do as much of that as we can as possible. Um, we generally just want lawyers involved for drafting the actual purchase agreement itself. Um, we will do everything else. They don't have to do any other yeah. um, negotiations. And if you have yeah. a big enough business that is complex enough to need a lawyer as part of the, the sales process, you probably already have a lawyer on retainer anyway because you've worked with someone mm-hmm. um, but before. So at that stage, um, you might bring them in when we get a little bit later in the process. Um, we will help manage the due diligence process. So we use secure data room solution. Um, we'll manage to make sure that everything the buyer requests is is reasonable. A lot of buyers will say, here's 500 things I need if I'm going to buy your business. And we'll say, no, 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 no. You can have 70 of them. These 430 are not, not relevant. So we'll mm-hmm. go through, make sure that you're not providing anything that you either don't have to or shouldn't need to or for whatever reason, it is Perfect. not acceptable for a deal like that. Um, and then all the way through to transferring the business, we make sure it goes through securely. We only get paid when you get paid as a seller. So it's not like mm. sign the contract and then see you later. We never speak to you again. Um, you have to go through. We make sure it's transferred. Um, if there's any future payments in the deal, uh, I wouldn't say we're a collections agency, but we will make sure to <laughs> follow up. We make sure to... We make sure you get paid. We make sure we get paid um, as part of that process. Um, but effectively, we are, we are full service. So we do absolutely everything. And to my point about when you shouldn't hire us or a firm like us, that you shouldn't hire us if, if you want to be the one negotiating yourself. Like we are very good at negotiating. We've done it a thousand times, We've negotiated billions of dollars in transactions. Um, chances are we're better at negotiating than you. So that's what you pay for. If you do not believe that or you do not like that statement, then go try it yourself or work with someone else who will let you micromanage. Because there are plenty of firms out there who will charge less for like a semi-DIY process. Yeah, I I, I see the value of everything that you saw uh, said. Sorry, I was going to say, I yeah, as as business owners are already pretty busy uh, doing whatever they're doing. Um, I see the value of what you've said and getting a broker to do all that, uh, you know, hard work. Um, now you, you, you've talked about, you know, different companies and I kind of just want to throw this out there. What's kind of hot right now? Like, uh, are you seeing a, a certain industry that a lot of sales are taking place? So I'd say maybe this is a slight tangential answer, but I'd say Shopify apps are super, super popular at the moment. Yeah. And just anything on the Shopify platform in general is really popular. Years ago, I mean, I don't know if you guys remember this platform, but years ago, like 10 years ago when I started, it was platforms like Volusion. Yeah. I, I, I don't think I've seen Volusion for about 10 years, but it used to be Volusion. Yeah. Uh, Magento. I mean, yeah. I know Magento still exists today, yeah. particularly with large enterprise stores, but so many people have built businesses around the Shopify platform now. I would say we have a number of buyers who, in the e-commerce space, who would only buy a business based on the Shopify platform. Mm-hmm. Um, similar to if, if it's a content business, they only want something built on WordPress. It's kind of become homogenous with e-commerce now. Um, yeah. Shopify apps are popular. 
uh, particularly recently with the recent change in um, partner commissions, say anything in the Shopify ecosystem in, in general. Um, I think one reason for that is Shopify themselves. And I mean, if you know Shopify, you know they're not exactly as their kind of public persona may suggest. There's obviously a lot that goes on behind the scenes. Yeah. Um, but in general, they've done a good job for their partner ecosystem. They've invested in it. Um, they run their, well, they used to, see, not with pandemic at the moment, they had Shopify Unite, their conference. They run mm -hmm. regular like partner and whatever it might be events. So I'd say people like the Shopify space because Shopify do invest in their partner ecosystem. So whether that's as a store owner or merchant, an app owner, an agency, whatever it might be. There is a lot of demand from buyers because they kind of want to get in on the, the Shopify trend. Um, Who are so these they, buyers? Who are these buyers? Are they? Are you seeing them as other e-commerce trying to buy the competitor, or are you seeing like banks are just like e-commerce is hot, apps are hot, just go grab it. So it it could be Shopify themselves. They might want to buy businesses. I couldn't necessarily tell you what they might be looking at, but they've definitely looked in the past and they actively make acquisitions both publicly and privately um it could be again i used to have private equity mm -hmm. companies that have raised money to buy e-commerce e businesses or apps or whatever it might be in the shopify space um lots of them out there uh, the thing with private equity as the name suggests is it's private you often have no clue who they are you never would have heard of them uh, you would never back to my sales pitch about why you should use fe you would have no way of knowing who they are to reach out to um, because yeah, they do not like publicly advertise. You can't Google like sell my Shopify business. And the like the one bidding on AdWords is probably not the one with enough money to buy your business. They yeah. probably have some other sort of business model. So lots of private equity out there, lots of private money looking to get in on the space. Um, I guess guys like yourself run an agency, you know the space. You're like, well, maybe we should buy a store ourselves. Maybe we should buy an app. Maybe we should buy another agency. Makes sense. Lots of Absolutely. strategic buys like that. Um, yeah. People who have a job and hate their job, and they're like, "Okay, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna buy a business and run that instead because that'll be more fun than, than my job." Um, yeah. Particularly at the lower end, that's really common. Um, people who just want some side income. Um, so I have a job. I like my job. I get paid well. I'm kind of bored. I want something to make an extra, two thousand, five thousand, ten thousand, whatever it might be. Um, on, on the side, I say that they're generally the, probably the four main categories of um, buyers we work with. Um, cool. But there's a real range of, say, these days, if you ask someone again, like 20 years ago, you want to buy a business, what are you going to buy? Most people would probably say like a restaurant or something like that. These days, you can, people, I don't know what the exact data would look like, but you get way more people who say they want to buy a software company or an e-commerce business or a blog or a podcast or an agency or whatever that might be. So more and more, I guess, younger people who have grown up using the internet. Different um, world, eh? They're like, well, yeah, I should. I mean, I, I grew up on dial-up. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> kind, I guess kind of halfway grew up through the internet generation. Yeah. But now if you're a kid, everyone has a, everyone has a smartphone. Everyone has access to the internet. They take it for granted. They would have no clue what the world was like um, before that. So when it comes to buying a business, like, well, of course, an online business makes sense because I buy everything online. Yeah. Whereas you talk to the older generation in their 60s, like my parents, for example, they, know, they, they know how to shop online now, but they will still default to going into an actual physical store. Maybe not as much during COVID, but if they want to buy something, they go into a store.
Whereas yeah, you find sure. the average 18 year old, they probably literally buy everything online. They probably don't go into a store ever. Yeah. I was, was going to ask you something. Um, in terms of buyers looking to acquire a new business, do they look at the entire tech stack and how much does that actually weigh into the price of the sale? Um, so it doesn't really weigh into it because you get some buyers don't care. Some only want to buy specific tech stack. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't say there's a, a bad tech stack or a good tech stack. Um, if there was bad would be the one that has no developers available. So again, this is why Shopify is quite popular because if you're building around the Shopify platform, similar to WordPress, tons of developers out there. Lots of people know the platform. If you're building around, you have a business built on a Volusion, like we joked about a few minutes ago. Um, yes, some people, you guys know what Volusion is, but if you ask the average person who's been in the industry two years with a Shopify store, they've never heard of Volusion. And they will laugh at me thinking I'm an old man who has been in the industry too long. Um, so there's probably way less developers. So if you're building on an older platform, um, it definitely doesn't help. It wouldn't necessarily affect the valuation because it's somewhat of a binary decision as a buyer. Are you happy with that platform or that tech stack or are you not? Um, it doesn't necessarily affect valuation. So I wouldn't really let that change your approach to your business in general. I mean, if you're... Yeah. If you're listening to this podcast, I'm assuming you're building a business around Shopify. I would say yeah. that is fine, but that does not mean if you're listening to this this podcast and you happen to be building around the Magento platform, for example, that that's a problem either. Like people will still also buy your business if you're on that platform. Fair enough. Yeah, Thomas, uh, you've given us quite a bit of insight. Um, it's it's awesome to hear all this. Um, any final sort of thoughts, any final topics you want to, you know, share with us from a seller's perspective or a buyer's perspective, hit us. No, I think we've, we've covered a lot. I think it's been really interesting. I would say just to reiterate, if you are ever thinking about selling a business one day in the future, it's always worth getting evaluation as early as you can. Um, and just be aware there's literally no obligation to sell, but you will pick up on things that will be, um, helpful to know and also helpful to plan because like i said you might be 10 years of hard work away from uh, the number or the timeline you, you need to sell uh, mm. or you might be much closer than you think um so it's important to go through that process um and as a buyer honestly you might if you're looking to buy a business i think a lot of people you asked about like what's hot right now mm-hmm. um, as a buyer i would personally not ask that question i would probably avoid what's hot uh, take a step back figure out what do you actually know about what you like, where you're going to enjoy running? I mean, yeah. you guys know this, you run a business. Running business is not easy. It's not all fun podcasts and like making jokes <laughs> for, for an hour about no. like tips. This is easy, fun stuff. I guess this is the stuff that gets us out of bed in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, but the majority of running a business is actually very hard. Um, and where you really make your kind of money and successes in the stuff that other people don't want to do or don't do a good job of. So it's not easy running a business. If you are going to buy one, um, just be aware that kind of chasing the latest trend might seem cool, but in five years' time, you're the one stuck with that business working on it at midnight. Generally, on a, by the on time you find out about the trend, it's already too late anyway. So you got to well, look five it, years ahead, and you got to be the trend. Thomas it, it, caught me exactly. there. I was looking for the hot new deal and throw <laughs> some money at it. So well, well said, Thomas. It was good, good wise words. Yes. That is good. That is good. 
Yeah, awesome, man. Well, that's very insightful. Thank you so much for sharing a lot of value with uh, you know us and our listeners today. Um, I guess, guys, if you are in the position to, uh, or you are looking or considering selling your business, as Thomas said, get in touch with a business broker. We'll leave the links down in the bottom of this episode for sure. So um, you guys can have a look at it there. And there's a lot more information available on your guys' website as, uh, as well, which is good, you know, about sure. selling the business, things to look out for, et cetera. So um, yeah, that's We'll have the good. links below, but Thomas, best way to get hold of you? Uh, right now, my, my latest project is Twitter. So I'm constantly on Twitter at the moment. And if you want to find me there, I'm there. Um, or, or LinkedIn, both of those platforms quite active on at the moment. So yeah. if you want to reach out to me. And I would say, um, if you message me on any of those platforms, I will definitely reply personally. If you email me, um, it will probably get buried and get forwarded to someone in the team. So if you have a specific question for me, social media is a great way to reach out. Perfect. I think the listeners that we have all around the world will definitely hit you up by Twitter. In New Zealand, I don't know. I used to do Twitter. Don't do it anymore. I don't really know if anybody else does it, but I'm sure they'll find you on LinkedIn. Quite quite big. I've got one more question for you, Thomas. Um, And this is just for my own self, just because I love brands. What's the coolest brand you've ever been involved in transaction with? Oh, we see. I I would say I love all of our clients. All a thousand I found (laughs) super interesting. Quite, Quite honestly, what I've actually found and what I find super interesting is what looks might look like a cool business probably does not make as much as you think. Uh-huh. And businesses that look super boring often make way more than you think. So a lot of the wow. best businesses we've ever sold on on paper, like most profitable, biggest, you would look at them and be like, oh, that's, that's kind of the green pen business. Mm-hmm. It's boring, but you can sell a lot of pens. Uh, often the ones that look cool um, are not as profitable as you think. So that's the, the boring CEO answer. answer. <laughs> That's a great answer though. Great answer. Exactly. Excellent. Nice. All right. Cool. Well, Waldo, wrap it up. Take us out. Yeah, no, guys, if you enjoyed the episode, hit the like button, subscribe to the channel. Um, like Leo said, we'll leave all the links for Thomas and uh, FE International in the base of this um, of the comment section. Uh, so yeah, just get in touch, guys. And when you're out there in the journey, there's always other opportunities available. So don't forget. Thank you very much, Thomas. Thanks, guys. Take care. Hey, guys. I just wanted to jump on here to thank our amazing sponsors, Okendo. They're an amazing reviews app for Shopify. They're exclusively for Shopify, so they know what's up. Uh, Okendo enables Shopify and Shopify Plus retailers to leverage their most powerful asset, their customers. Okendo has all the tools needed to capture and showcase customer-generated content, including ratings, reviews, photos, videos, Q&A. Brands use this content to build trust, drive conversions, and maximize customer lifetime value. That's what we all want, right? Unlike other user-generated content apps, Akendo doesn't force a trade-off between functionality and affordability. That's why over 4,000 Shopify retailers trust Akendo, such as Skims, Netflix, and Thermomix. Thank you so much, Akendo. If you guys want to check out Akendo, we've got links in our episode, in our bio. We have an episode with Scott from Akendo if you want to know more about it. But uh, make sure that you check it out and let them know that you've come from Talk and Shop and they'll give you 60 days free.